Welcome to Artistic Beginnings. I'm Mitch. And I'm Melody. We're siblings who grew up working in the entertainment industry and were deeply impacted by the arts. I'm a professional actor, singer, and dancer working in Los Angeles and New York, still pursuing an artistic career. I, on the other hand, am no longer pursuing that career. I went on to become a researcher, though I'm still involved in the creative industry. Artistic Beginnings is all about the winding artistic paths that creatives follow in their lives. We share these inspirational stories with you so that you can learn and grow as a creative. So, let's get into it. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody. We are hope super... You have a good week. Yeah, yeah. Hope your week is halfway through and halfway positive, because the other half is going to be just as positive, especially since you're listening to this episode. <laughs> That's a lot of words. All, that was a lot of positives. I'm here for it, though. Positivity is great. Uh, I hope you all jammed out to September by uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire this Monday, <laughs> this past Monday, because, you know... The 21st night of September. Um, I hope that doesn't get us copywritten. <laughs> no, it wasn't nearly Could good enough. Could you imagine? Oh, <laughs> screw you. <laughs> you know who is good enough, though? Oh, yes. Who is better than... I'm better than know, good and better than the most than... positive thing. <laughs> who is amazing and incredible. Uh, our guest this week, Chris Smith. Yeah, he's got a really interesting story, and it's uh, a little different than a lot of the other people that we've spoken to. He has a lot of background outside of the arts, too. Yeah, he works um, with the Actors Fund currently, and we'll let him get more into that a little bit, but he works a lot with mental health of young performers, which is so super important, um, and just is an incredible, an incredibly inspiring human being in my personal opinion. Um. <laughs> yes, in mine as well. And I had only just met him uh, when we spoke to him, uh, what is it, a couple of weeks back now? But uh, yeah. yeah, we had some really interesting conversation with him. Uh, and fair warning, we did want to give a warning at the beginning of this episode. Um, we do talk a little bit about death and uh, some of the uh, darker sides of mental health. So if uh, that's kind of a a trigger to uh, affect your own mental health, uh, feel free to to jump past this episode and listen to another one. Uh, although uh, we we definitely, if you're able to handle that, uh, listening to Chris is a, a really uh, a, a really great thing uh, to get your your day off right. It is a topic that we talk about a lot uh, in this episode, but things that he has to say about it and the inspiration that he gives is incredible. So, um, but we did just want to give that trigger warning just in case, and we will not be offended if you skip this episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Great. So now that we have that out of the way and uh, we've given a little background on Chris, we'd love to let him talk about himself. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, again, thank you guys for having me on the podcast. My name is Chris Smith, and I'm from beautiful, sunny Sacramento, everybody's favorite vacation spot. Grew up here my whole life and then moved away at age 20, moved to Hawaii to go to college and started working with kids there. Just kind of fell into it, actually. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to help people, but didn't know what that would look like. I had been on Hawaii. I'd been 
on the island for about, I think, a couple months and then saw YMCA and was like, oh, you know, let me just kind of go over there and see if I could work with somebody. And kind of what led me on that path was I had somebody, my father wasn't really present in my life and uh, my best friend's dad really played a huge role in my life. And I felt like I wanted to give back to people. So when I saw the Y, I thought maybe I can do something and like go over there and help. So I went to the Y, got hired, and I was the type of person who was just very introverted and was like really uncomfortable around kids. It was like if somebody gave me a baby, it's like, eh, eh, no, I'm going to drop <laughs> it, break it. I'm not that person. But once I started working there, I found like that was really a calling and um, an admission. So I worked there for four years, became the supervisor of the place, really loved it. And then at the same time, I was going to school at Hawaii Pacific University and school was a roller coaster. I wasn't a great student. I graduated high school, which I'm proud to say I graduated high school with a 2.3 GPA and I never took the SAT and I never took the ACT. And why I say I'm proud to say that is because I feel like I've done pretty well for myself and it's taught me that like I didn't need to hit the normal benchmarks and that you could still be successful if you don't hit the normal benchmarks that everybody else does. But I start working at the Y and was really like, is school really right for me? I took an acting class, which really just opened my eyes and helped me stay in school because I was like, man, I don't, I just don't know if this school thing's going to do it for me. But it was the the acting class that I took that was like, okay, I can, I can kind of, for lack of a better term, suffer through this to stay in just to take my acting class. I was able to take a, a couple more acting classes and realize that I loved it and ended up staying in school and was really sitting with a tough decision of like, okay, should I switch my major to the theater or to acting, or should I just continue with a psych major? I ultimately decided to just go with a psych major, got a bachelor's in psychology in 2006, and then started working with special needs children and then switched over to working with adults with a substance use issues. And all this time I was still in Hawaii, I was doing community theater and doing background work, which I really started to love community theater and was like, should I make this my life? Can I make this my life? And all the while I was doing that, I was still working in the human service social work realm and kind of doing both at the same time. And then in 2008, while I was still doing plays, I went back to school because I was at a point where the jobs that I was wanting that I felt like I could do, I didn't have that credential. And I was banging my head against a wall and getting really frustrated that I knew I could do these jobs, but I just, I didn't have that stupid credential. So fortunately, I worked with a lot of social workers and they were like, you know, you got to just go get an MSW, a master's degree in social work. And I was like, nah, I don't want to take people's kids because that's all I thought social workers did was work for <laughs> oh, child yeah. and family service and take people's kids. And I was like, mm, I'm good. Not trying to do that. But they had explained what social work was. And so I went back and got an MSW and graduated in 2011 and then moved back to Sacramento to be with family and then moved to well, before that, I worked at a hospice for a couple of years as a social worker, which was a great experience. I think everybody should get the opportunity to, to be around people who are at the end of their life. There's so many lessons to learn from that. And then moved to L.A. in 2000. What is it? 2000. 
14 with my wife to pursue an acting career and then ended up with the wonderful Actors Fund and have been there ever since. So I, I kind of jumped around a lot, but you know, like all lives, no lives are linear. So that is my very unlinear path. And right now, I'm the social worker and supervisor for the Actors Fund's Looking Ahead program, which is one of the greatest jobs I've ever had and a true blessing in my life. And I, I really love what I do. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to do what I do. So currently I get to do counseling, mental health services for people in the entertainment industry, and I get to supervise the program. I supervise a staff of three other people, volunteers like yourself, and support staff and really help to just steer the program and serve as a, an advocate for the rights of children and the well-being of children and families in the entertainment industry. So that is a kind of broad brush stroke of who I am. That That's amazing. Can you give a little bit of a background on, on what the Actors Fund is and a little bit about looking ahead as well? I, I'm not yeah. sure we've talked about that on the show yet. Absolutely. So the Actors Fund, it's a its a tremendous organization. Everybody in the entertainment industry should know about the Actors Fund. So the Actors Fund has been around for over 136 years, and it was started to help actors with burial costs and to really just be a support to what was a really frowned upon vocation for people. So over 136 years, and we provide support services to people in all walks of entertainment. Although our name says Actors fun were really for actors, directors, casting directors, costumers, the whole nine background, below the line people, everything. So we have emergency financial assistance for people in the entertainment industry. We have services for seniors, for people with disabilities, for people with HIV, for we have a financial wellness program. We have a career center that helps people who maybe are looking for sideline careers or people who are interested in transitioning out of the industry. We have a health insurance resource to help people in the entertainment navigate our ever-changing healthcare landscape. And we have Looking Ahead. Looking Ahead has been around since 2003, and it was started to really address some of the stories that we hear about, unfortunately, and that we know all too well about child stars and child actors who have had really difficult times. So the Actors Fund, in concert with SAG-AFTRA, SAG at the time, went and created this program to provide support to kids in the entertainment industry. So what Looking Ahead does right now, we have five service areas. We have education, we have supportive counseling, we have leadership, we have social activities, and we have community service. The idea is to really help young performers and their families deal with ups and downs of being in the business and have that support and safety net, that, that network, but then also make successful transitions to adulthood. And what's really important and, and what we want all the kids to know is that whether you were just in the biggest blockbuster and you are in a poster on Hollywood Boulevard or you're in a dry spell and you haven't really booked in a while that we value you as a person and that your worth is not connected to your role or or what you're doing or what money you have. It's just all about creating that support network that just values you for you. So it's a really great organization and, and one that I think all people should be involved in. And I, I do need to add that the Actors Fund and looking ahead, all of our services are completely free. We're a national nonprofit. So if you are a young professional performer, you need to get on board and check out the Looking Ahead program. That's really cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's all, I mean, yes. you said it all. That's all I have to add. 
<laughs> yes. You know, I, I, I feel like, gosh, I think like, you know, everybody needs at least one person, at least one person. And as an aside, like one thing I, I learned in social work school was there was a study on from the island of Kauai that taught that followed kids for four decades of their lives to get a sense of like what made people successful, well-adjusted adults. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest takeaways, it was fascinating. One of the biggest takeaways was that the, the people who were successful after 40 years, Years, had at least one adult who was caring and attentive to their emotional need. And that blew me away. Like it sounds so simplistic, but unfortunately, yeah. not everybody has that. And I really ascribe to the theory that we do need a village. And, you know, I know, you know, Melody, you've spoken very highly about your parents and your parents' support and involvement in your life. And I think that's amazing. And also, the older you get, you need those kind of supplemental supports, whether it's that coach or counselor or whatever it is totally, and yeah. yeah that's what yeah, looking ahead <laughs> totally totally it, does, it yeah. really takes a village and melody i remember something like if i can kind of veer like you told me before you moved to new york you said that your uncle gave you some great advice which i won't repeat here but i you said uh, that, that he was like melody don't f this up Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and I remember thinking, I love that. I love that. I love that so much because, like, I don't know if your parents said that to you, but it's like to have an adult who cares about you, who loves you, to just tell you in a different way, like, hey, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. this is serious and take it seriously. And I think that's beautiful. And that's the role that looking ahead plays. Like, this isn't just a job. And this kind of like goes to social work. Also, social work is a call. Then I think all of us who are with the Looking Ahead program and the Actors Fund at large are really called to do the work that we do and just really want to be here to offer people support in times of need or not. Yeah, I find that really interesting. One thing that kind of draws my eye is, is the fact that you, you chose to go down this path and, and you found the the Actors Fund and, and Looking Ahead program. What was the decision like to move in that direction towards the being more in the social work industry in entertainment for that matter? Like what kind of drew you to that? Well, I feel like I'm a very, I'm different. I'm different. And I love that I'm different. I think, I don't know, like I, I just always felt like I couldn't do like a conventional job and I get bored really easily. Can either of you guys relate to that? 100%. Both of okay. us, very much so. Yes. Perfect. I I just like, I, I always dreaded the idea of doing like a traditional job that I felt was boring. And with social work, I felt like it was the perfect major for me. It's like a MacGyver degree. You can literally do anything and you're not stuck in, mm-hmm. or you're not limited rather. So you could manage a business. You could do direct service and therapy with people. You can, I don't know, do policy, public policy or politics. So that really fit my personality. And before I moved to LA, I never heard of the Actors Fund. I never even thought that there would be an agency that provided support services to people in the entertainment industry. And it really just kind of happened by chance. My wife found the job posting for me. And when I saw it, I was like, this sounds pretty amazing. So let me go ahead and just apply. So I applied and was really fortunate enough to get the job. And by that point, I had realized that working with kids was more fulfilling for me 
kids and young people. And the reason for that was for four years in Hawaii, I, I did crisis mobile outreach. So working with people who were in a mental health or a physical, any sort of crisis. So I saw a lot of people who were suicidal. I saw a lot of children who were suicidal. And that really left a profound impact on me, like reading like 13 year olds, like suicide notes, or just hearing about the anguish that, that kids were under. Yeah. And kind of a personal crusade that I have in life is that we as a society teach people, especially young people, how to deal with their emotions. So I felt like I got so much from just being able to provide support to kids. And then when I moved back to Sacramento in 2011, I worked in hospice for two years. And again, such a just beautiful job. It was amazing, but challenging. You know, the the goal of it was to help people as they are dying. And it was very rewarding, but took a took an immense toll on me as well. And I wanted to kind of go to the other continuum. So it's it's something that I don't regret doing hospice, but when the opportunity came to work in a setting with kids and young people that's like more vibrant and you know, the laughs, like I, I laugh a lot. I love to laugh. And it's something that is a huge part of the work that we do and that I get to do. So that's kind of how that landed with the Looking Ahead program. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. With your experience with hospice and, and and working through that lens and then moving over, how how was the transition like? Was it directly after you did hospice that you went to looking ahead and, and working with kids again? It was. It was. Yeah. So um finished uh, hospice and then a few months later, took a few months break to relocate to L.A. And then my very next job was looking ahead. And really, it was a breath of fresh air. I feel like, you know, there were moments for there definitely were moments for laughter. And hospice taught me a lot about allowing time to stop. And what I mean is like there were times where you know, I would sit with somebody who was getting ready to die, or I would sit with a spouse who was talking about what it was like for, or what it will be like after their partner of 40 some years dies. So it was very heavy. There are certain times of life where we do need to allow time to stop. And what I meant by that was like, you know, if somebody's talking about the regrets that they had, that they wish that they that they would have done as their life is nearing a close, like it doesn't really matter what my next to do was or or this bill that I have to pay or just any of kind of like the ruminations of life that we're all subject to, but that I could give people a gift to just like allow time to stop. But conversely, that did take a, a huge toll on me. Like every day I had to think about death every like all the time actually had to think about death and had to think about my own mortality. And um <laughs> what did you do with that? <laughs> like that's a, I mean that and also with the crisis work that you did, how did you how did you deal with that? What what did you do to take care of yourself in those moments too? Yeah, you know, hope hope is really important to me. Hope and and faith like I believe that like nobody is a finished product and there's hope for every soul and nobody ever sets out to like screw up their life. And I think like we all, we all need help sometimes. I know I've needed help. My family's needed help. Like again, you know, when I say I graduated high school with a 2.3, I wasn't the best student. And you know, what I really needed was people to be patient with me and people have been patient with me. Not everybody, but enough. 
enough to make a really profound impact on me. So I translated that to my work. So when I was meeting with somebody who was suicidal, my thoughts were, okay, this person's scared. This person is scared. And I know what it's like to be scared. And I think if we're all honest, we all know what it's like to be scared. So let me just connect with that. And I can't take this pain from this person, but I could stand beside them with it. And often I found that like, as much as we were talking about suicide or the crisis that they were experiencing, this was really just an opportunity to have a great conversation with somebody. And I think that's what people were really longing for is like the opportunity to connect. So being kind of like the extroverted introvert that I am, like I I felt like I learned how to talk to people. And so it was a tremendous, tremendous skill to just get some name of some person. And then I have to go and strike up a conversation with them about their deepest, darkest fear or this trauma that they're experiencing. So I felt like that really honed my skills of conversation. And I just wanted to genuinely sit with the person and help them through this. And that's not to say that, you know, I'm some like martyr who looks around, like trying to help people all the time, every chance I get. But I do believe that the world, that we should help each other. I, I For me, it's I think it's a moral responsibility that we all have. And it just so happened that I was able to do that as a job. And then with hospice, I, I dealt with it by just, again, that same thing of realizing that like these are things that like are inevitable as much as beauty and joy and happiness are parts of our lives or death and sadness and pain and that no one should have to deal with that alone. So with that thought, that's kind of what propelled me. And I definitely took care of myself too. I mean, like I am, (laughs) I think I laugh because I love to make a joke and I feel like I can make a joke out of almost anything. And that has been my lens. So no matter how difficult or challenging things are like sometimes I can make like an internal joke that could help me cope with it. All that's to say getting back to looking ahead it was a tremendous breath of fresh air. There's definitely challenges with working with any population but not having to talk about death all of the time was yeah. a huge breath of fresh air. That, that's really incredible. So jumping back, because I, I honestly, when you were giving your your whole background and, and walking through kind of your life and your path up to this point, there's a lot of different junctures that I found that were really interesting. But one of them was you, you took a, an acting class in, in college. Was was that your first encounter with the arts? Had you thought about the arts before then? What kind of started you on the, the path to, to appreciating the arts and, and doing the community theater and, and pursuing acting? Yeah, you know, I I came up with a term of like the closet artist. And I think, (laughs) I think, you know, unfortunately, I see a lot of boys and men, especially where arts are kind of it's a very narrowed path. And, you know, for me, like, I, I love sports. I still love sports to this day. I love to play sports. I have watched a lot of sports in my life. And just growing up, it was very typical that like, okay, you know, at recess, what do all the boys do? They pick up a baseball or whatever, you know, and kickball. And I was doing that and I loved that. So I was, I was definitely into sports, but I think the first play I saw was Phantom or Les Mis. I was like 19 and I took this girlfriend at the time to go see it. And I was like, wow, I don't like musicals, but that was pretty amazing. And to be able to sing and dance and act, wow, that's that's something special. But really didn't think anything of it. Like always was enamored by 
by movies and enamored by stories, but didn't really think that that was something I can do. But once I took that acting class, like, oh my gosh, that feeling, that feeling of getting up on stage, <laughs> it yeah. is intoxicating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I remember very clearly getting up on stage and just being like, wow, this is what I want to do with my life. And it was just such a powerful thing. And so after I did that, that class, there was auditions in Honolulu, this community theater for Raisin in the Sun. And I'd read Raisin before and was like, oh, should I audition? This is actually a play. Like, can I learn the lines? It's real. It's real. And so like I I auditioned, like not knowing what this was gonna be like, and then got a part in Raisin. And it was like, I got the part. I got the part. Oh shoot, I got the part. And mm-hmm. it was like this genesis of like, wow, now I gotta produce. And can I produce? And all those thoughts that I think any artist <laughs> deals yeah. with. But I did, I did it. It was a small part, but still, you know, there's no small parts to to shows. And I did it and I loved it. And it, it's funny, like, I think it's just that whole artist trajectory of I know every time before I would go on stage, I was like, wait, why am I doing this again? Why did I sign up to do this? But did that play and then that led to another I did Jitney by August Wilson as well at the same theater and then start to do like a few other things. And as you guys know, like one thing kind of leads to another that kind of leads to another. And going back to the term like the closet artist is like I being a person who was always moved by like emotion in the world. I mean, I'm beauty, I'm taken by beauty in life and art is intertwined with that. So that was kind of my foray into art. So art plays a presence in all I do. Yeah, that's really incredible. And it also seems like the the compassion and the kind of work that you do at at the Actors Fund and and the work that you've done in the past probably helps fuel kind of your your understanding of the the human condition, obviously, and gives you that added perspective to kind of draw on for any of the art that you do actually pursue in addition to that. Definitely. Yeah, I think they're intertwined. And what I didn't know at the time, but like now I've come to realize is that a lot of social workers, especially in LA, but a lot of like social workers and actually people in just the mental health field are artistic and do other things on the side. It's very common for people to have had other careers and to, I don't know, be photographers, be actors, be singers, be whatever it is, but still have this kind of regular quote unquote day job, if you will. So mm-hmm. it was really nice to be around people who kind of see the world as, as I do. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that that feeling of you don't have a, a particular path that you want to pursue, but you have a lot of different options and like having those options to to kind of go down. And we were talking about earlier, yeah. And you mentioned photography. Are you? Do you also do photography? I do. I do. Yeah. You know, whenever, whenever kind of I can, like I started taking pictures when I was like 18 and just have continued to do it. And I think what the through line is, is I love beauty, you know, like it it might sound really cheesy, but like, I've always been a person who's like been really moved by song lyrics or been moved by landscapes or whatever. So Like being a photographer has just been an extension of that, of like, I don't know, seeing something, some cool sunrise, take a picture of it or something. So I think it all stems from that, just that, that appreciation of the beauty that's around this world. 
I I've loved the impact that like I just love the impact that art has on people. You know, it's it wasn't something that I realized until later, but like I'm looking right now at a couple pictures that I have, like a picture of me standing on top of this mountain in Maui from a few years back, and it just evokes so much emotion and so many good feelings. And with photography, I love being able to take a picture and then show someone themselves and them say like, wow, you know, you captured my smile or I was doing quite a few headshots. And it's, it's, it's funny. I think like mental health and like photography, they so go hand in hand because a lot of times people will say like, I don't take good pictures or I'm ugly in photos or whatever people say, but then it's a nice gift when you can like hey, you know, I took this picture of you and like, this is how I see you. And to actually have the person say like, wow, you know, I, I, I like the way I look. It's a nice win. Before we get into our final questions, I want to talk about the book you're writing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> when, oh, when, did that, when did that come about? When did you kind of start that journey? You know, um, I started that journey in January 2019 about, and what came from that is like doing, so like I do therapy with kids and families, and I felt like I, I heard a lot of themes. And as we know, life can be hard. And especially when you're a young person and in your early 20s and like trying to figure out, do I go this way or do I go that way? As an aside, I was reflecting um, and writing a couple of days ago about how when I was 20, so I moved to Hawaii with my best friend and he ended up moving back to Sacramento. And I had a decision, like, do I stay in Hawaii or do I move back to Sacramento? And that was the most difficult decision of my life at the time. And I remember, like, yeah. it just, it felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And I was trying to play forward, like, what would this look like? What would I, what would this mean? What would it mean if, for me if I move back and blah, 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 blah. And looking back now, it's like, wow, that was 20 years ago. And realistically, like, there was no right decision. I just tried to make the best decision that I could. But the book came from wanting to give young people and teens like guidance and just hope, you know, again, going back to that village analogy, just trying to be a support that says, you know what, it's okay, you're okay. And the whole the whole point of the book is to help young people. And I'm thinking like 12 to 30, be able to cope with their emotions and just deal with life. Because unfortunately, again, I don't think we really talk about how to cope with emotions. So that is the whole point of the book. So I've been working on it for the past year i'm officially like well technically done i'm just going back and like cleaning it up i think Mm -hmm. like kind of the challenge with any artist too is like it's hard to to get to a point of being like is it good enough you know and Mm -hmm. am i really done with it so that's where i am now but it's been a project that i've working on been working on for a year and uh, i really enjoy it yeah i just hope it can touch a few lives I will be the first one purchasing that book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Melody, you're sweet. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I think it's it's very true. I I remember like the first, there have been a couple of looking ahead 
program activities where we really dove into mental health. And that was like the first time that I had ever learned about that or had ever seen, oh, this is what a healthy coping mechanism is. Got it. Like, because Mm -hmm. it's so it's so taboo to talk about. I feel like it's getting better now. But especially like with social media, there's so much happening, especially for young kids. And it's it's overwhelming. And I think the fact that people don't talk about it, it's it's bad. (laughs) And I think having, you know, somewhat of a guidebook it would be extremely helpful. I wish I had one. (laughs) I still want it, like, obviously. (laughs) I don't think I'm, like, done and perfect and, like, (laughs) oh, I'm I'm the best at all of this. (laughs) (laughs) No, totally, totally. You know, on that, I'm curious, like, what advice do you think would have been helpful for you guys at 16? I think it's hard because, like you said, when you were deciding whether to move back to Sacramento or not, that felt like the biggest decision in your life because it kind of like it kind of was at that point. Mm -hmm. You probably weren't making a ton of really (laughs) massive decisions. But I think just knowing that, I mean, it's cliche, but knowing that everything will be okay and, you know, there's no right decision. It's just the best decision that you can make at that time. I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to quote Frozen 2, but <laughs> it had some it had some great moments in there. There's a moment where the rock villagers come in and they say something along the lines of you just need to make the next right decision. Just keep making the yes. next best decision for yourself. Um mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know. I need to go deep into my childhood trauma to figure out what I needed at 16. (laughs) What about you, Mitch? (laughs) For me, I don't have the resounding quotes or or moments from Frozen 2, but... I know. (laughs) For me, it's kind of an extension of what you said, Melody. It's, It's more about just making a decision. I think whether it's right or wrong, I had a lot of trouble actually taking action. And I'm more of a person that's like, oh, if somebody else has an opinion or or somebody else has an idea, let's just go with that one. And I never really decided on my own. So I know that one thing that I would have found very valuable is just trusting in my own instincts and making a decision whether uh, I felt super confident in it or not. And understanding that like what Melody was saying is like, it's going to be okay. Totally. You know, too, uh, man, I I love hearing that from you both. And I think like what I've come to realize and why I'm writing this is because these things are so universal. Like we all feel mm-hmm. that. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that like how many of us we learn to tune out our gut and our, our mm-hmm. intuition. Like, I think we all know what we want, but like the noise can be so deafening. And like with social media and yeah. just other influences, it's hard to really like get still and get quiet. So I always recommend and encourage and try and practice myself, like just to have moments of stillness and quiet and really to think about what I want and to realize that, you know, sometimes decisions don't reveal themselves. Actually, most, if not all the time, don't reveal themselves in the moment, but like can take days, weeks, months, even to really reveal themselves. But the ultimate thing is like just knowing that, okay, I have to just trust my gut. And then no matter what happens, like I'll be okay. And really life is interesting. Life is, I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to grow from this one way or another. And that's the takeaway rather like than this kind of fixed thing of success. So yeah, it's great. I appreciate hearing that from both of you guys. Honestly, just listening through your life story and all of the insight that I've gathered from what our conversation has has pulled together. I'm, I'm feeling inspired by a lot of that kind of stuff. So thank you for sharing. (laughs) 
thank you for sharing all of that. And I, I too will be, I'll be the, I'll be the second <laughs> purchaser of, of that book. So I'll, yeah. I'll have two copies in our you household. Just get your, no, it's going to be like four copies because my mom and my dad will also want one as well. <laughs> so you're just going to have a bunch of Hollises on you. <laughs> be great. I love it. I love it. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. <laughs> um. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to jump in really quickly to let you know where you can find Chris and just kind of give a little plug to the Actors Fund. It's www.actorsfund.org. And if you're looking for the Looking Ahead program, they have two websites. It's www.lookingaheadca.org for California. And the New York one has an NY at the end uh, for you young performers out there. But yeah, the Actors Fund is amazing. Please check it out. Even if you're not an actor, it's a really amazing um organization that's the word (laughs) a really amazing organization all right back into our final questions what is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts Mm, the hardest thing is getting over yourself i think it's one having that that action i think the follow-through and then knowing how to have longevity in the art so God, that's such a big question. It's hard. I mean, well, for me, like the challenge has been like, or or at different times of my life, which way to go instead of realizing, okay, I don't have to have one path and I can pursue arts in a way that may not be the traditional linear path of some artists. Like I can take the, I'll take the scenic route. <laughs> and I'll still have this this career because something that I try and live by is like, what does it mean to have a full life? So for me, it's I'm an artist. I Yeah, I'm an actor. And yes, I'm a photographer, but I'm also a social worker and I'm also a son and a husband and all these different roles. So to me, that's a full life. Our next question is totally not on the same wavelength at all, but <laughs> 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 what is your favorite piece of art right now? Oh, my favorite piece of art gosh i think i'm i'm reading i'm reading a lot i'm reading i just finished a book by this guy dave goggins called can't hurt me now i'm reading oh you read did you read it no i haven't read his book yet but i love david goggins dude yes very inspirational very now i'm reading the hate you give by angie thomas and that's phenomenal and then i also want to give a plug out to the story by anton Chekhov that i want to encourage everybody to read it's called the bet um the b-e-t and i read it in the fourth grade and it blew my mind and it's very um, applicable to this quarantine that we're experiencing now so those three things i would say are my favorite pieces of art you you said the bet by Anton Chekhov. Anton Chekhov. Oh, it's a short story. It's a short story. Yeah, it's it's like a five page short story. We read it as fourth graders, and yeah, just a little quick gist. Like basically, it's about these two guys. One wealthy man kind of goes to another not wealthy man and says, like, I bet that you can't live in jail. Like basically, live in isolation for this specific amount of time for a few years. If you if you can do this, I'll give you two million dollars. And so. So it it breaks down what the two men learn from this experience. So it really, really spoke to me. And I read it again last week for the first time since I was, I don't know, nine or eight. And again, it spoke to me in, in new and different ways. I think really hits the nail on the head with this corn. So I'd encourage everybody to check it out. So to, again, throw you another curveball, this one is very different from Melody's question. What keeps you up at night? 
what keeps me up at night? I would say it's tough because this doesn't really keep me up at night, but this is the closest. This is the closest because I feel like I've made peace with it. But like, will I accomplish all the things that I set out for? And all these these big grand ideas I have for life and the world, like I really do want to make the world a better place. And I do feel I am. I've long reconciled that like it doesn't need to be this massive like policy change or whatever, but it can really be just providing support or laughter to one person that is changing the world. But there's still a part of me that wants to change the world in different ways on a grander scale. So sometimes it's like, can I do it all? But I feel that that's a, it's a great challenge and it's exciting challenge and it 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 gives my life a a purpose and a meaning can i do it all that's the thing that keeps me up at night great question Mm -hmm. you know if i could just tell a quick story when i was 23 i came back one summer and i hadn't graduated college i was just kind of still going to school working you know at the y in hawaii and my high school published this book about you know where everybody's doing and what they're doing and I just remember feeling like this huge sense of dread. <laughs> and I yeah. felt like the biggest loser because it's like so-and-so's at UC Santa Cruz, so-and-so's at Stanford, so-and-so's doing this. And I just remember really sitting there like, damn, what am I doing? And I look back and like now I'm able to, when I see other people have success, I just kind of just say, that's not your blessing. And I just move on. Good for them. That's not your blessing, Chris. And I move mm-hmm. on. And that helps me just like, okay, you know what? I'm on my own path and good for them, but that's what it is. All right. Well, let's jump into our last question. What one piece of advice would you give someone who wants to pursue the arts? I would say definitely pursue the arts. One, do it. Two, look at how to have a full life and really get an idea. Define for yourself what success is. Define for yourself what success is and realize that what you may think may be your biggest contribution to the world may not be. So what I mean by that is like if the goal is to like, I don't know, for acting, if the goal is to like be a series regular or something or to, I don't know, have a feature an A-list celebrity or star, then maybe that's still not the biggest contribution that you have to the world. Like maybe it's going to be like, I don't know, supporting some senior citizens or like supporting some kids or being a parent or a good partner or whatever. So pursue the arts, but don't limit yourself while you're doing it. Hey, thanks for listening. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, www.artisticpodcast.com. If you liked the episode, do us a favor and share it with a friend. It's the best way to help people find our podcast and will help support the show. For updates on new episodes and content, you can follow us at The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. See ya.